Give us in us any voice but yours, O God, and open us to your truth. And in this hour, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This morning's scripture warns us, you have already spent enough time in doing what the Gentiles like to do, living in licentiousness, passions, drunkenness, revels, carousing, and lawless idolatry. The author of First Peter speaks those words to his audience regarding the cultural context of first century Christians. And it is a similarly appropriate warning to those who were present in Chicago's Wrigleyville neighborhood this past Wednesday night. The connection is even stronger when you realize that Peter's audience was a group of people expecting the imminent end of the world, while in our own time, the Cubs winning the World Series is a sign of the apocalypse. (laughs) That may be a cute way to kick off a sermon with a joke, but the fact that you laughed shows that the comparison is false. The book of 1 Peter was written shortly after Jerusalem was sacked by the Romans. It was a desperate time. Readers would have been looking around them at the upheaval and destruction of the world as they knew it. And for them, the possibility that Christ's return would save everything. That this was the end of the world as they knew it. Well, that idea had genuine appeal. On the other hand, even though there are plenty of parts of the world today that are quite desperate, Cincinnati, and in particular Hyde Park, do not fit into that category. The idea that I would begin this or any sermon quoting verse 7 of today's lesson, the end of all things is near, that would be a turnoff to most of us. For we are comfortable people who mostly benefit from the world as it is. There is a connection, though, between the scripture for today and the lives that we live. You may not think that the world is coming to an end, but the fact remains that not a one of us is going to live forever. Today is All Saints Sunday in the church year, the day that we remember people in our own lives and in our community who have died. And it often occurs to me that when the death of a loved one causes us to face our own mortality, we come to the same conclusions, the very same conclusions, as those biblical people who thought about the end of the world. The Bible actually draws two sets of conclusions in response to the idea that life is short. One is expressed in today's lesson. You already heard it. You've spent enough time in licentiousness, passions, drunkenness, revels, carousing, and lawless idolatry. Therefore, 
Discipline yourselves and be serious for the sake of your prayers. Be serious. That's one message. There's another conclusion in the Bible which seems to state quite the opposite. It's found in a number of places, but appears most vividly in the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, where the author writes, I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and enjoy themselves as long as they live. Moreover, it is God's gift that they should eat and drink and take pleasure in their toil. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. This is the other conclusion. They seem contradictory, these two viewpoints, but it seems to me that both are true, are they not? There's a place in life for enjoying God's good gifts, for seizing the day, for having a good time when you can. None of us has forever. And there's a place for being serious and not frivolous or wasteful. These ideas sometimes seem to be in opposition, but in the Bible they're both drawn from the same basic conviction. None of us has forever. Don't waste the time you have. Regular people know this wisdom is true. That's why every person who has lost a loved one, every grieving person who sits down with me in my office to talk about it, they all have the same basic ideas. No one ever tells me how glad they are that their loved one won the rat race or kept up with the Joneses or spent so many hours at work. What you hear is about treasured relationships and memories and experiences. Times when they seized the day and celebrated life. And I hear lessons learned from times when they lived most seriously, generously, or selflessly. When they stood up for something they believed in, or when they were unusually gracious or kind or forgiving towards someone else. In taking these kinds of risks, people find love and life, and faith. Some of you may have figured out by now that David Brooks is one of my favorite authors. He talks a lot about this idea. He calls it the difference between living a life built around eulogy versus virtues versus resume virtues. The definition is obvious. The resume virtues are external, skill-driven parts of our lives, that we have them to produce income and job success. They appear on a resume. Eulogy virtues are different, deeper. They are the kinds of things that people talk about at a funeral. Whether you were brave, kind, honest, or faithful, what kind of relationships you formed. Brooks describes people with good eulogy virtues and the effect that they have upon others. He describes them this way. They possess an impressive inner cohesion, not living fragmented, scattershot lives, but calm, settled, rooted. 
They radiate a sort of moral joy, dignified when others try to humiliate them, restrained when others try to provoke them. They get things done, and while performing acts of sacrifice, they are not thinking about what impressive work they are doing. They make you feel funnier or smarter when you speak with them. They move through different social classes, not even aware, it seems, that they are doing so. They have not lived lives of conflict-free tranquility, but they have struggled toward maturity. These are the people, he says, we are looking for. David Brooks then claims this, and I agree that it's true. You cannot build a rich life shaped by eulogy virtues simply by listening to sermons or following abstract rules. Example is the best teacher. Meaningful lives are not made or shaped by what someone like me does or says up here on Sunday. I simply get the privilege of reminding you to look at each other to follow the paths of those you know have lived well. Those of us who are lucky have people in our lives or have had them who live the eulogy virtues. Take a moment and think about who that was or is for you.